Welcome, friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life in a body that we love. A life free of diets, free from guilt, and free from shame. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not your past, and not social conditioning. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready, my friend. It is time to get awesome inside out. Hey there, welcome back to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. I am so grateful you're here tuning in. It's always an honor to spend this time with you. And so if you enjoy this conversation and find it valuable, the absolute best way that you can always support is by hitting the subscribe button and sharing this conversation with someone that you love. Maybe that's a roommate, classmate, colleague, family member, or friend that could also benefit from this wisdom and who also is ready and willing to upgrade their health, their well-being, and their life. So thank you so much in advance. It means the world to me. All right, so today we're jamming about forgiveness. And before you hit the skip button, as I know forgiveness isn't the sexiest topic, hang in there for just a moment and hear me out. I get that it's basic human instinct to reject or push away who and what has hurt us in the past. It's a natural defense mechanism. So often we think, why should I have to let go of something that someone else did to me? Why should I have to get over the pain when I never received an apology? I hear you, but the challenge comes in when we hold on to the pain from the past and it halts our own life. It halts our happiness, our greatness, and our ability to thrive. So forgiveness can be one of the scariest transitions to step into. Most times we can't see what lies on the other side of it. So we continue to use it as an excuse and a crutch to keep us small. But today I invited David Trotter, a new friend of mine with a powerful story to share on this topic. David is an author of the new book, Empowered to Rise, and a transformational coach dedicated to inspiring women to rise up in life, love, and leadership. David and I are gonna dive deep into the importance of this forgiveness process, our true identities, and how each of us can start embracing our unique gifts now. And a friendly reminder, during this time, Be forgiving of yourself as well. Your past experiences don't define you if you use them as a tool to rise up and step into the new you. This is truly going to be a transformational episode. So grab a cup of tea and get ready to dive in. Welcome, David, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to jam with you today about so many amazing inspirational topics that you and I have been diving into recently. So it's a pleasure to have you. It is an honor for me to be here with you. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for just showing up in the world for women. I, once I got to your website and I was introduced to you, I just kind of went down the rabbit hole of this amazing work that you're doing and Mm. the content that you're creating and how you're, yeah, how you're showing up as a mentor to so many women around the world who are changing their lives and really taking those steps that they wouldn't have taken if they didn't have a safe space and leadership and mentorship to do that. So I'm just excited to dive into these topics for so many women. 
that are listening, I wanted to dive back in your story because I would assume that you're new to some of the people on my platform. And I think your story is so inspiring, especially for people who often think that they have to go to the darkest place to make a transformation. I think sometimes people actually wait for that moment, right? They're like, right. well, it's not that bad. We're, things are okay. And then what we're seeing right now is there's, there's a lot of darkness coming up with being quarantined and the coronavirus and all these things. And I feel like people are actually hitting that. But I want people to know that they don't have to go into that place to actually make transformation. They can do it now in the state of complacency. Or even if life just has a little bit more room for growth and feeling like, okay, I I feel good. Everything's good. I feel joy, but maybe I could use something new. Maybe there's a new Mm -hmm. level of joy or happiness or inspiration or love that I could reach. And I don't need to wait until that dark place to get there. So can you take us back to how you got into this work of helping women and now hosting a podcast and writing this amazing book that I've been going through? Yeah, thank you. What an intro. What a commentary there. Yeah, I am in a unique space of seeking to help women. And I always put in parentheses and men or and the men who support them. But, you know, I actually was a pastor for over 10 years in Christian ministry. And I transitioned out of that 12 years ago. But the thing that is common about my work over the last 25 years is that for some reason, the people that are more impacted by my work than others tend to be women. And tend to be in that kind of midlife 30 to 50 years of age. And, you know, I'm not quite sure why that is. But about a year and a half ago, as I was looking to make some shifts in my life, I talked to my wife about doing a podcast and an accompanying coaching program. And we both kind of said, well, who is it for? You know, it can't be for everybody because if it's for everybody, it's for nobody. And I said, well, you know, you tend to impact women the most. So why don't you do it for women? And, you know, it felt awkward for me, Sarah. It just feels weird, you know, at some points. But I had to lean in. And over the last year and a half, I've leaned into it even more. And I really hope that no one feels like I'm here to tell women what to do. That's definitely not my heart in any way. It's more just, I feel like I'm my my highest self, my best self when I'm working with women. And that's true that I have had a marketing business for the last 12 years, and most of my clients are women. I still help in the nonprofit church space, and most of the leaders that I work with are, are women. I don't seek that out. I don't, you know, I don't understand why that mm-hmm. happens. But, but yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, my background a bit. And, you know, there's lots of twists and turns, of course, but I am passionate about helping women get unstuck and really see their true value, their true identity, and then help them in whatever way that they're stuck help them see that there is a path forward. And I oftentimes have this ability to believe in someone more than perhaps they believe in themselves in the beginning. And uh, I just see that inside of people and I can cheer them on and believe the best for them and help them find a clear path. You know, so many people feel, number one, they feel not enough in whatever capacity. And then when you feel not enough, you don't have the ability to dream and to have a clear vision. And to help someone do that and then provide, you know, clear goals and next steps, it's just so liberating for people to go, okay, I can see that. I can take the next step. Mm. Yeah, I think sometimes the dreams seem so far out of our scope of worth mm-hmm. and our self-esteem and our self-confidence and even self-love on some capacity to be able to witness ourselves in a dream that's so much bigger than we think that is ourselves. And I love, I love what you reference and just being that 
kind of that guiding post, right? Holding them accountable to their dreams, holding their vision of what they desire and making a stand for that. Because I believe we all are worthy of whatever it is that we want. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's our own limiting beliefs and blocks that aren't allowing us to dream so much bigger. And so many people have been that mentor for me. So I just absolutely love that you're doing that for other women. Can you take us back to when you kind of hit this rock bottom place, when you recognize that this was the time where you needed to transition out of the church and start your marketing business and and not so much that you're not so using those principles, but kind of walking us through what that transition looked like for you. Because I think for so many women specifically, they know that their career, their relationship, their way of being and living in the world isn't serving them. They know that it isn't for their highest good. And there's almost a fear of like, my life is going by, but yet they're staying in that space and they're scared to take that sort of pivoting step. And I think even right now, specifically more so than ever, so many people are having to pivot and it it brings up so much fear, right? And it takes so much courage. And so I'm curious for you what that looked like and and how you knew and what you did to kind of move through that. Yeah. Well, it was very messy, to be honest. And and that's why I would hope that people would learn from my experience to go, you don't have to hit rock bottom in order to make that pivot, make that adjustment. But I, for a lot of my life, I was really driven by performance and achievements and you know, when I went to college, for some reason, I figured out you could take more units at other colleges. And I ended up graduating with both a bachelor's and a master's in four years. My goal was to walk that line twice, you know, to hear my name called twice on one day. There was just something driving me to do that. And meanwhile, at the same time, I was married. I married my wife between our junior, my junior and senior year. I was a TA working on a professor's book. And I was working for Nabisco stocking cookies and crackers on the shelf in order to make some money. And I was the photo editor of our yearbook and newspaper. That was all during my last year of college. And I ended up burning out after that. That was my first burnout experience. I didn't hit rock bottom, but it was just like, whoa, I'm doing too much. That carried over to me for me um, when I started a ministry as a pastor. I wanted to build the church bigger and better, wanted to help more people. And, you know, that's all positive. There's beautiful, positive motivations in there, but also a lot of integration of brokenness Mm -hmm. and a desire to fill that black hole of feeling not enough. That if I could just, as a pastor, grow this church to be bigger and stronger and better, that um, somehow I would be enough finally, you know? And and even though I knew that that what was happening, I knew that that's why I was so driven to grow the church. We started with 12 people. This was uh, 2003, 12 people grew it to 750 people with three locations and a dozen staff in five years. And that's not the biggest church, but in the area we are, it was pretty fast growth. And I just was completely burned out. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It was all focused on good. And nobody can tell you you're doing, what am I doing too much good? You want me to stop doing good? What, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I, I wasn't present for my kids when they were young during those, you know, 10 years. My wife and I, we rarely fought, still rarely fight. We were really compatible and just connecting in that way. But we ended up feeling more like roommates than intimate, you know, partners. And so I ended up feeling so overwhelmed and burned out in 2008. 
I ended up having an affair. It was for me a way of having someone affirm my enoughness. It's like, even though my wife could look me in the eye and say, I love you, you're enough, you're, you know, you're what I want in this life. I needed someone else. I wanted someone else. I didn't need it. I wanted someone else to do that for me. That uh, obviously did not go over well with my family or the church. I ended up resigning and it was an absolute mess. And the gal that I had chosen to be with ended up um, leaving me about 40 days later to go back to her family and four kids. And I hit rock bottom, Sarah. I I just was non-functional for several days. And I ended up checking myself into a mental hospital and was there for three days and really got my head straight, got some medication. And then that began a journey of relaunching my life. I had nothing. Sarah, I, I literally, all my education was now worthless. Uh, nobody's going to hire me to be on, in a church staff. My, I just abandoned my family and just made a mess of that. You know, that was 12 years ago. And I, it began a long process of reconnecting with my wife, a lot of therapy, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of processing. And six months later, I ended up moving back into our family's home and we reconciled. And, you know, that was a long time ago, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing I love more than being with my wife and kids, you know, and I could, I could not have said that 12 years ago. Wow. I absolutely love being with them in present. And I also, you know, obviously, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg. I've learned so much through that process, but I don't want others to make decisions, mm-hmm. unhealthy decisions. Like I chose an affair. If you're listening today, you could be choosing you know, maybe it's overeating or overexercising or overspending or gambling or drugs or alcohol. You know what I mean? We all turn to something in those dark moments to try to cope, to try to feel like we're enough. You don't have to though, you know? Mm-hmm. There can be a more healthy pivot rather than just making a choice that ultimately will hurt you and hurt the people around you. There's a healthy option. Right. I think we make those choices from an unconscious place of our own pain to continue to avoid the pain. And then when the pain gets so bad, then we have to shine light on that pain and then take the next step. But I think it's really powerful. And what a testament to you and your wife to heal that. I think that's going to be so inspiring for so many women, because I think what happens is, is when someone does something to us, the story becomes about us. And then we use so many women I work with use food as a coping mechanism because they don't feel good to avoid the pain, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, they go into this sabotaging experience of never trusting anyone again. And and it it continues to perpetuate in the space of self-sabotage. And so I'm curious for you what that forgiveness piece looked like, because I think if people can move to forgiveness faster, and I know that there's there's a process, right? And of course you have to feel through it and you have to really experience the emotions of all of it. But when we can move to a place of forgiveness, and what's so interesting is that in my programs and in my work, forgiveness is the farthest thing. Like It's like the one thing people don't want to go to. It's like mm-hmm. the one part of the program people push off and push off and push mm-hmm. off because having to forgive someone means that you're finally letting it go and you're no longer using the story as a way to hold yourself back. And we use it often as that excuse to overeat, use drink, 
smoke, do the things on the other side, mm-hmm. right? That oftentimes the person who's hurting you is using them, but then we go into the story of using them to deal with the coping of the pain. Right. And so I'm curious for you what that looked like, what that forgiveness process looked like through therapy and what it looked like for your wife, if you don't mind sharing, just cultivating that love again, because I think it's so empowering that mm. to hear your story and hear that there is a space to forgive on both sides and you can move through it. And if the love is stronger than the anger and the hurt and the pain, there's opportunity to mm-hmm. grow on both sides. And I'm sure there was a lot of growth for her as well. Yeah. Well, I remember living in an apartment by myself. I couldn't stay in the apartment that the other gal and I had put together because that was just too painful. So I broke that lease. I moved to another apartment. I'm standing outside of the workout room because working out had become basically my coping mechanism. You know, I had gone from probably 225 down to 180. And I called it the affair and divorce diet, which is the worst diet you can ever be on. And so I'm standing outside of the workout room and I'm on my phone calling a friend. There were three friends and a therapist that really saved my life during this time. And I was, this was even two weeks after I got out of the hospital and I was still a wreck. I just, before I went into the hospital, I don't share about this much, Sarah. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but uh, for the two weeks after I got out of the hospital, I just wanted to end my life because I had lost everything. I had thrown it away. And I called my friend, I think it was a Saturday morning, and I said, I've got three options today. One is, I'm just going to get it over with. I'm going to end my life. Two is, I try to suck it up and I'll, I'll try to find another partner or mate, you know, spouse in my life and I'll, I'll pursue that. Or, or number three, I'll just apologize to my wife and beg her, you know, to take me back. He said, well, okay, well, if, if we've got three options, let's, let's at least hold off on number one, you know, <laughs> let's hold off on that one, you know, and he got me laughing and, and he said, you know, you don't want to be back with your wife right now because, you, you know, it's too messy. Like, you don't want that. You would just be trying to get the pain to go away. But she does deserve an apology. She does deserve you to take ownership. And it was this weird moment where something clicked inside of me. I had never even thought about apologizing to her, Sarah, in those Mm -hmm. three weeks because I was so caught up in my own mess, in my own depression, my own brokenness. And something clicked in that moment. And I ended up calling her uh, or texting and saying, hey, can we meet? We met at a park. It was horrible. You know, I just sat there and I just said, hey, I'm not asking you to take me back, but I am taking full and complete responsibility for my actions. I am sorry that I've hurt you. I'm sorry I humiliated you. You know, and I I was just crying, you know, I was a mess. And she didn't say much, you know, she just sat there. I said, you know, I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying this is, I'm taking responsibility. She, you know, didn't say much. She didn't say, I forgive you because, it, you know, it's just raw. It's a couple of weeks mm-hmm. later. So it was a long process. It was, you know, I told her at one point there was a shift where I said, I feel like I want to turn the trajectory of my heart toward you and no one else. You may not ever want to be with me, but I sense that I need to serve you and love you as the mother of of our children. Mm-hmm. We were already, you know, we were in the midst of a divorce filing. So, you know, a lot of conversations on the phone, a lot of exploration of who I am. I'm the kind of person 
that was ultra responsible my whole life. I grew up in a very conservative Christian home where I did the right thing, didn't have sex before marriage, didn't drink alcohol, didn't smoke, didn't, you know, all that stuff. At this point in my life, you know, this is 12 years ago, I was 35. I just said, screw it. I don't want to take responsibility for anything anymore. I just want to do whatever I want to do. Through therapy, of course, I learned that I need to have more freedom in my life than I've had before. But I also simultaneously need to have responsibility. That yes, you and I, Sarah, we can do anything we want today. We could go rob a bank, right? I mean, that sounds ludicrous. But you and I have the freedom to do that. Would that be responsible choice for us? No, it wouldn't. So let's not do that, right? In the same way, you can have freedom to do all kinds of things. But is it responsible? Is it healthy? Is it going to help you ultimately get where you want to get? And, you know, those are things that I have learned. And my wife, I mean, she's a saint. People, everybody loves her. She, um, you know, has just gone through her own journey, of course. In as much as an affair is, that was my responsibility. But what research tells us is that that's a double-sided experience, meaning that, we both were not coming to the relationship in ways that were creating an intimate partnership. That is not to blame her in any way, but it is a journey that each person has to take to go, how, you know, how do we want this relationship to be different? And so we really came out of that going, okay, we are partners. We want to be partners in life and doing life together. I mean, it's just the learnings go on and on, Sarah. I mean, I could talk forever about all the things that, that I've learned and how I've changed and been transformed and it's been a journey, but I don't want others to have to go to that dark place. Right. You know, that really motivates me to go, you know, I felt like when I was in that, I felt totally stuck. Like I couldn't, I knew, okay, I've got a dozen staff. I've got these three locations. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not healthy, but I didn't, my ego would not allow me to make the decision to say, let me transition out because I would somehow lose face. The feelings of not being enough would be even magnified even more if I quit rather than if I would have had the courage to say, you know what, I need some help right now. I want to transition out of this. I want to get my head straight. I want to come from a healthy place, not an ego-based you know, motivation. I would have been able to not go down that dark road. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. And it's really profound to witness what can come out of the healing side of recognizing your enoughness. And so I'm curious, was it a therapist or who supported you? And where are you finding that enoughness now in the sense of like cultivating that within you? Because I think people will hear this and they're going to say, that's me a hundred percent. Like I seek all of my enoughness outside of me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not showing up for everyone else, I feel like a failure. But then how do you cultivate that enoughness in you so that you make the right choices to prevent the burnout or to prevent the unconscious way of of Mm -hmm. living? Yeah. Well, I would tell you, you know, it's still an ongoing journey for me. You know, it's still, I had a person who was on my podcast. She did like a 15 minute YouTube video about my new book. And like, she's talking about the book and me and all this stuff. And Sarah, I'm just cringing the whole time. I'm like, oh my gosh, why is she just stop, please? This is so uncomfortable. I said, my wife watched it and I said, I think I just felt like she can't say those things about me because I question if those things are true. You know, I question if I'm really, did I do a good job? You know, did I do the right thing? Did I really help enough? 
Did I, or were my motives pure enough? You know, all of those kind of questions. For me, it's a daily process. Um, I've even written kind of a manifesto for our community that I say every day that really helps me, that really grounds me, that really brings me back to a place of feeling like I'm okay, I'm enough. I've done enough, I've done my best. The other thing that for me is really helpful is I can feel the difference inside when I'm trying to build something versus when I'm trying to serve people. And that's just me, right? That's the Mm -hmm. way that it plays out for me. I like to build things because if I build something, if I create something and you think, whoa, that's amazing. Look at that. Whether it's putting on an event, creating a resource, doing, doing something. Because for whatever reason, I have the ability to do stuff. I can create stuff. Well, if I'm feeling like I'm in that place of trying to prove myself by creating something that's very different than if I'm creating something with this heart of service Mm -hmm. and saying, how can I serve Sarah? Like today, Mm -hmm. I'm coming to be with you to go, am I coming to perform, right? To do a good job for you, to make it flow and be helpful for your audience? Or am I coming to just go, you know what? What a privilege to be with Sarah today. What a privilege to be with her community and just share anything that I might be able to share This is an opportunity to serve and to be present. And when I come from that place, oh, even right now I have tingles just to go, that feels grounded. Like that feels authentic. That feels like me. That's my best self. You know, can I still create big things and do big things with that heart? Yes, I've been doing that. You know, over the last 10 years, I've written like 12 books and produced four feature films that have won awards on social justice issues, all from a heart of service. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that feels good. That feels like a safe place for me, a very healthy place. Hey there, friend. Are you loving this podcast? I want to continue to support you. So the simplest way to do this is to head over to sarahannstewart.com and pop into the newsletter. Doing this ensures that you never, ever miss any details of our new projects, products, upcoming events, or issues that are near or dear to my heart. You're also going to get access to the movement. This is the inner circle of people just like you standing in their power to bring more truth and a new level of consciousness where all individuals get to live a diet-free life in a body that they love. So pop on over to sarahannstewart.com and subscribe, and I'll see you on the inside. I love that reframe too, because we can't be in service when we're not taking care of ourselves. It's very hard to show up, like you said, and be present. And even if I wasn't taking care of myself, I can't do back-to-back client calls all day and, and be focused and have mental clarity and with no brain fog. Like I have to I have to work out in the morning. I have to have that energy. I have mm-hmm. to eat clean and really take care of my health and well-being. And I feel like that's so pushed off, especially when I talk to a lot of women who are running charities and it's very much like, okay, well, there's so much suffering and there's so much out there. And I always bring it back to them. And I'm like, but you suffering doesn't mitigate the suffering out there. Right. It actually continues to create the suffering on the world, on the planet. So if you continue to suffer, it's not serving anyone for you to be out in the trenches of the suffering. 
And so we have to find the balance where we cultivate and build our inner strength so that and take care of ourselves, I believe, from a physical, mental, emotionally, and mm-hmm. spiritual place. Mm-hmm. So then we can say, okay, from this place, I can serve. And it's similar to why do we want to create wealth so that we can serve? serve. Why do we mm-hmm. want to be healthy so we can go out and do the things and run around during these crisis standpoints and have the energy to, to help and serve other people? And I think it comes back to that. And so I absolutely love that reframe. I wanted to go back to a question that I have in my notes for when we originally spoke and were introduced about the five questions you asked yourself. And I think this is really important to to ask yourself these five questions in the state of burnout. Mm -hmm. Can you go through those with us? Because I think they're really pivoting questions for if you're in a space where you're like, do I need to get out of this? Is this time for me? Is this the moment? Which I think a lot of us are in right now. These are really powerful questions to help you move through. So one of the things that I did after I was able to kind of climb out of the pit and our family reconciled, I started a a marketing business, communications business, just because I had to figure out a way to make an income. And I started to look back after a couple of years and go, what were the questions that I was asking myself that helped me kind of pull me through and help me realign my life? And these five questions became kind of apparent. One is, and I'll run through them real fast and then break them down. It's who am I? What do I want? What truths will keep me focused? How will I take action? And who will walk with me? And so the first one is, who am I? And so I had to ask myself, once you have something like the title of a pastor, that becomes enmeshed in your identity. And so if that's gone, who am I now? Right? Who am I going to be? And so I ask myself that question every day. Who am I? I ask my clients that. Who am I? We go through an extensive process because I believe that our true identity is not the roles that we play in this world. It's something deeper. I believe that we have a divine imprint. I do believe that the divine has created us. And because the divine has created us, there is an inspiration within us. There's a deep value within us. I love this imagery of my grandfather. He was a woodworker. After he retired from the Navy after 30 years, he just created this little garage with all these woodworking. I literally, right now, I'm looking at a roll oak roll-top desk. It's huge here in my office, oak bookcase, an oak cradle, bread box, all these things that he's created. And our other family members have these items too. Now, I will tell you, they're 1980s oak style, Sarah. What the heck? Is that style going to come back anytime soon so I can display these things proudly? Uh, you know, <laughs> you know that style is so different. But um, he would, at the end of creating that item, he would stamp it with this wood burn that said, handcrafted by Erskine B. Trotter. It was this imprint to know He approved. It was enough. The thing was done. It was beautiful. It was complete. And that imprint, that idea of him burning that imprint for me is a visual of the divine placing the divine imprint within me to go, I'm enough. I'm good. I don't have to do or be anything else to be loved or enough in this life. And so who am I? What do I want? Getting clear on the destination. I love the visual of the space shuttle back in the 90s, 80s, 90s, taking off. Everybody would love to go, okay, where's the space shuttle going? The space shuttle's beautiful. The foundation of the space shuttle getting launched 
is that launch pad. Nobody looks at the launch pad about how beautiful it is. They're always looking at the space shuttle. The launch pad is your identity. That's who you are. If you don't have a strong foundation of your identity, your true identity, you won't be able to launch your life. You won't be able to take it to the next level. You know, what do you want out of life? That's your destination. That's where you're going. You got to be clear on that. If you don't know where you're launching to, you'll just be trying to make your life feel better, more happiness, more joy, as opposed to having a clear next step, whatever that is. Who am I? What do I want? What truths will keep me focused? I have so many false beliefs, lie. I call them lies in my life. And I help people to break through those lies, replace them with the truth, find evidence to back up that truth. For me, the two biggest lies in my life, Sarah, that I've wrestled with my whole life are I'm not enough and people don't like me or want to be with me. Mm. And those are two lies that have held me back in so many ways. I still you know, address those on a daily basis. And so we've got to be clear. What are those lies we're prone to believe and how can we replace them with the truth and, and you know, keep moving forward? The fourth question is, um, how will I take action? I am a person of action. And that could be anything from, you just got to have a plan. Like if you know the destination, I don't mean destination like the end of your life. I mean, like, what do you want to achieve in the next six to 12 months? So how are you going to take action toward that? You've got a vision, you've got a mental picture of your preferable future, the thing you want to experience. How are you going to create basic goals and action steps to get there? It's old school goals and action steps, but that's how I produce stuff. That's how I create stuff in my life. You know, how did I do four feature films in eight years having never gone to film school? Well, I had a vision and I developed goals and action steps and rallied a team around me. And I was driven by, I wanted to make a difference in the world around these social justice issues. How will I take action? And the last one, fifth question is, who will walk with me? Meaning I can't do this alone. I've got to have mentors. I've got to have coaches. I've got to have guides. I've got to have teammates. And that's true whether you want to start a meditation practice in your life, who's going to walk with you in that process? Why would you try to do that alone? Let's get some people that are going to help you to keep you on track and stay focused. So anyway, those are five questions that I love to help people explore in their life because I think it gains clarity and they ended up developing traction to get what they really want. Mm -hmm. I think who will walk with me has been one of the most profound questions that I ask my clients and I'm not asking them in that exact verbiage, but... Right. Similar in the sense of if you have the other four questions and you know where you want to go and you know what action steps you want to take, but then the people that are walking with you are in alignment with everything else that you are, it's almost like a way that we self-sabotage, right? right. It's a way that we mitigate or almost damage or hold ourselves back is is mm. like the the blame of, okay, well, my my partner, my spouse, my community doesn't like it when I become successful. They don't want me mm -hmm. to change out of the normal common routine in which I'm in. My partner does things this way and this would disrupt his way of being. Mm -hmm. And I have found that that is one of the most challenging. And then we mm -hmm. can step out of that and say, okay, there are communities and there's mentors and there's coaches and there's people that want so badly, like you said at the beginning of this call, for you to succeed. Right. And when you start to be in that space of people seeing your greatness that you can't see, everything shifts so quickly right. to the point where I've seen people's lives like crumble, but then like from that, this light and just growth so quickly, mm -hmm. exponentially, and everything changes. And to them, it feels very much like overnight. And yet probably see this as a coach as well. At my end, it's like been building and building for years. And finally, it's like that crack where 
Wow. That's what it takes to really move people through the shifts because I think people deep within their soul, they know the first four questions. Like they have that, those things, but they, they're just blocked by the limiting beliefs and projections and stories that have been placed on them. Right. And then they create the relationships and the environment around them to validate those stories. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then they're blaming their external environment, which they created on yeah, yeah. not being able to move forward. So I love that. And I think that if you're listening and now that we have quite a bit of time in quarantine on our hands. I think that, <laughs> that really journaling on those five questions, it's a really profound time to look at that and say, mm. okay, free flow writing from a very non-judgmental place, just allowing yourself to flow through that, I think is it's a really good time mm-hmm. to do that. Would so you mind you. would you mind if I read this inspiration rising manifesto? Yeah, um, but I was going to ask you if the manifesto you were referencing was the Rising Manifesto. So, yeah, yeah. So, I really, you know, I found that so many people that I were work, was working with were wrestling with this issue I've, of their true identity and who they are. And, and so, I wrote this just as a manifesto for our community. And then I ended up writing the book to kind of elaborate on it. But it just says, my life has been inspired from the moment of conception. I am whole and complete just as I am. I don't have to do or be anything else to be loved. This is my true identity. Embracing my inspiredness, I am discovering my unique way to bring inspiration to the world. My life story, wiring, and strengths are my superpowers, and I'm learning to use them with others for the sake of others. I have access to all the resources I need to live out my inspiration, and I will be strong and courageous in the face of any challenge. My inspiration is rising. Mm, it's so beautiful. And I have people that are, you know, reading this daily around the world. People can go to our website and just, they can request a copy. I'll even mail them a physical copy of it just because I want people, I'm finding that as people read that, it feels refreshing. It feels sometimes people will battle against certain lines and go, nah, I don't believe that, you know? And it's like, okay, we'll just try it on. You know, just try it on for a little while. It might feel a little awkward, but um, maybe it'll sink in. Maybe it'll work for you. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. I think it's really important to read in the morning and at night. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes our beliefs carry over with us to the next day. So if you can Mm -hmm. bookend your day Mm -hmm. on the beginning and the end of the day with something really powerful, Mm -hmm. it grants you the inspiration for the day and then the forgiveness for the end of the day. And the ability to say, I did the best that I could today. And I did the best that I showed up for myself. And tomorrow I will show up in a different state of awareness. But through bookending the day, I think it's really beautiful. And I feel like this manifesto would be a perfect way to cultivate that experience into your day and really create powerful shifts very quickly through that very simple mindset shift. Mm. So when you talk about... When you talk about forgiveness, I, I, you know, I've heard you talk about that. Obviously, you've asked me some questions on it. Why is forgiveness so important to you? I think we create a story around something that happened to us that impacts every decision we make, right? Conscious or unconscious. And when we're operating from a belief of what someone else did to us from their own limited state of awareness or limited state of being, mm-hmm. I always say when someone hurt you, or they're not behaving in a way that 
feels in alignment with you, it's because they weren't taught. They weren't, they lived in a very limited experience growing up and that's how Mm -hmm. they operate from. They haven't been shown love. They haven't been shown forgiveness. They haven't been shown compassion. They haven't been able to show, to have a life of the things that we talk about on a daily basis. And so when we can forgive ourselves, I think, and forgive others, I think it cultivates a world of people witnessing what that does so then Mm -hmm. they can heal as well. And there's this idea where when you work on yourself, you're healing seven generations forward and seven generations back. And I think it's just important for people to witness that Mm -hmm. one, that we find it in ourselves to forgive others, that most importantly, we forgive ourselves for the things that we did in the past for so long in my life. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a very karmic relationship to things. So I thought if I did something bad, it was going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. And so for so much of my life, I was always in fear that because I did things that weren't in alignment in my past, that like karma was going to come to get mm-hmm. me. And this is a very Eastern philosophy, right? Belief. And because I grew up that way, I, I was always on the lookout and like expecting the world mm-hmm. to show up in not abundance and and like with bad things coming. And it's interesting because as I've changed that belief to like, no, I don't have to recreate a karmic experience if I forgive myself for that. If I Hmm. send love and compassion to who I was 10, 20 years ago, who I was growing up as a teen, who I was in college, who I was in my partying years in Miami, like all of those... (laughs) All of those times in my life were blessings and they taught me things, but I don't have to hold the story that because I did things that I would never do today, that somehow that karmic energy is going to come back and get me. And so that Mm -hmm. was one of my wounding patterns was like, I felt like I was always going to have this experience where things were coming back. And because of that, I manifested that in my life, Mm -hmm. right? So I would manifest these experiences that just were not optimal because I was on the lookout for bad things to happen. Right. And so it was this mindset shift of cultivating, yeah, cultivating the forgiveness for myself, cultivating the forgiveness for others, and then asking people for forgiveness and witnessing that if they weren't ready to forgive me, I was okay with that because Mm -hmm. they were having to go through their own process of being able to allow that experience to be part of their karmic experience and then letting them be in it and not holding myself responsible for the fact that they weren't able to forgive. And I've done some things and I've asked for forgiveness and I would assume some of those people haven't found it in themselves to forgive me yet, but... I know that I am deeply sorry and right. that has what that's what's liberated me from holding mm-hmm. that thread. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's beautiful. Long, no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a uh, I had a client the other day in my coaching program. She let me know that someone had stolen something from her home, somebody that she trusted, and it was mm-hmm. about a, it was about a fifteen thousand dollar bracelet. And she was literally sick in bed. She could not get out of bed because she was so distraught over all of these things. She was distraught over the fact that she trusted someone to this degree. She, you know, so she was angry at herself. She was angry at the person, of course, just really felt like she had trusted them and all of this. She's texting me this and I I texted her back and I said, do you want me to help you forgive her? You know, would you like to help? Would you like me to help you do that? She's like, can you do that? I'm like, sure. Yeah, let's jump on a call. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope this works. <laughs> and so we get on the call and it's a very simple exercise and it might be helpful for people listening. It helps me as identify exactly what the person did. 
right? So she said, this person stole something that I valued. I was like, okay, great. Awesome. That's a very clear statement of what they did. Um, because sometimes we get so distraught by all of whatever somebody did to us or said that we, if we just boil it down to one thing. And then I said, well, how did that make you feel, right? And so we go through the feelings and it really a cathartic experience, being able to just listen and say all those things. And then I say, think back over the course of your entire life. When did you steal something that was valuable to someone else? And I said, it doesn't have to be a physical object, but when did you steal something? And she came up with two really profound examples that she shared in her life where she had taken something, somebody's reputation at one point, some, something else. I said, how do you think they felt in that moment? And we went through that. And I said, would you want to be forgiven for having taken that sacred item? Yes, I, I would want to be forgiven. Would you be want to be forgiven by that other person? Yes. Would you want to be forgiven by the divine if that's something that you felt like you, you know, believed in or needed? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, in the same way, when you were a little girl and you stole that candy, were you in your right mind? Were you like thinking in your highest bet, you know, or, or were you just wanting to take something to satisfy a momentary need? Yes, I'm getting that. Do you think that it's possible that this woman who stole something from you was in the same set, like mindset, mm -hmm. that she was desperate or that she just, you know, she saw an opportunity or would it be possible that in the same way you would want forgiveness for the things that you've done in that way, that you would extend forgiveness to her? And in that moment, there's this profound experience of compassion. Because when we can experience empathy or compassion for the person that hurt us, it unlocks a deep, not only cognitive forgiveness, because we can say we forgive somebody over and over again, but there is something so beautiful and powerful when we have this unlocking of a deep emotional or spiritual forgiveness, a compassion mm -hmm. for that person. And, and I found that really works for me. Anytime I'm upset, I can find a place in my life where I've done something similar and how I want forgiveness. And then it empowers me to have compassion and empathy for them. Right. And I always think it's so beautiful to witness yourself from that space. Like what was she going through that she needed that? You know, we have no idea what's happening on the other side of right. the story. We have no idea what that's the suffering is internally for that person. We have no idea what's showing up for them in their life. We have no idea if very much so people act unconsciously because of it. Yes. Survival. Yes. They're, they're trying to just manage their life and their family's lives. And, and so it, to me, I almost like take myself out of it. And then I play a movie, like what's happening mm. in the movie. And if I could see beyond what's just the experience in front of me, yeah. what's the rest of the movie that's playing out where I could hold at least a little bit of love and compassion in that moment of my own pain and suffering to say, mm, do I, did I really need that? Or why is that person? We had a, I had an employee who stole a significant amount of money from us. And mm. in the moment I was so angry and so frustrated. And, and then I just pulled myself out and looked at the movie and I'm like, something's happening within his experience at home where I'm not, or maybe this is how he's trained, been taught to survive since mm -hmm. childhood. Maybe this is how he grew up. Maybe this is his only knowing. And how sad is it that this is his only knowing? Like, mm. how sad is it that this is how he is operating and surviving and he doesn't have access to the ability to have abundance and create from your own internal state of awareness, mm -hmm. right? 
And so I think that that just, it liberates us. It really allows us to, to find compassion for the planet, especially right now in the mm-hmm. state of the world and where we are. It's like the fighting I'm seeing online and I'm seeing the thread, right? I'm seeing the people defending their own survival. And yet I'm like, what if we just shifted that to like love and compassion and understanding and saying, okay, I can see you on the other side of the screen and you're hurting Mm -hmm. and how beautiful it would just shift our entire planet. And so Mm. I do agree. And I think it starts with us. I think it starts with us witnessing and then also recognizing I have a belief that what we experience is a manifestation for our highest good. So if Mm -hmm. we experience where someone hurts us, it's actually an opportunity for us to witness something Mm -hmm. in ourselves that potentially needs to be healed, something in ourselves that needs to be shifted. And when we take responsibility for not necessarily the other person's actions, but how we've attracted it and then how we're reacting to it, Mm -hmm. we again, liberate ourselves to a place of saying, okay, if I don't want to continue to attract these experiences, what needs to shift inside of me? Mm-hmm. Or if I do attract it again, how can I come to this experience from a different place of love and compassion? Hmm. Uh, so I That's love so that beautiful. Age. That's so beautiful how you ex- articulated that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for that exercise. I think people are going to absolutely love that. Another good exercise for this, <laughs> this this time period. I wanted to talk about your book, which I'm so excited about, which is Empowered to Rise, The Secret to Embracing Your True Identity, Uncovering Your Superpowers, and Bringing Your Inspiration to the World. So this just came out, right? It's new-ish. Brand new. Brand new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's available now on Amazon for people to get. I have a copy, which I'm so excited and thank you for. Can you just walk us through what the reader is going to get from getting this book and kind of the process that you took to write it and why it's so important for women to kind of go through this empowered to rise experience that you offer. Yeah. Yeah. I really do break the book into three sections, embracing your true identity, uncovering your uniqueness and bringing your inspiration to the world. So the first, and what I did was this is totally an outgrowth of my crazy linear brain. You know, I tend to think in this way, I just took the manifesto and I broke down it into nine sentences. And that's the nine nine chapters of the book. Um, So I go through each sentence and elaborate on what it means to me. So the first three chapters on embracing your identity, I want to personally embrace the fact that I am inspired, I am enough, and I am loved. Those are three things that are super important to me and important to the people that I work with. Inspired, meaning that they're, the word inspire, the root of that means to have the divine breathe the life into something. That's the, the etymology of it, that the divine has breathed life. And so I believe that the divine has breathed life into every one of us and that there's something unique and powerful inside of us. You are inspired. You're not inspired by the way that you feel, although that feeling's good. You're inspired Deep, deep down, that's part of your true identity that the divine has breathed life into you and you're connected to the divine. And uh, you're enough, you're loved, right? Really embracing that true identity is so powerful if you're going to make a a pivot right now. If you're going to make a shift in your life, if you're going, "Ah, I think I want to do this. But if you're not rooted in your true identity, those false beliefs, those lies that are going to come up about you not being enough or people not want to be with you, those are going to come up. 
and sabotage whatever pivot you want to move toward, whatever you want to go after. But if you embrace that true identity, it's a strong foundation for you. The second section is uncovering your uniqueness. You know, I believe that I'll meet somebody just at a gathering or on the street, restaurant, whatever, and I can have a conversation with them in five to 10 minutes and find out the thing that they really want to do in life. Because a lot of us are not doing something. It may not be our job or our vocation, but there's something we want to do, experience, be, or accomplish. We've got all these stories that are holding us back from doing that. And so I love helping people through the book develop a unique vision for their life, something that they want to accomplish or do. It's their way of bringing their inspiration to the world and then unpacking what, you know, their unique superpowers. And for me, helping people know that I believe you're going to be more fulfilled if you're doing it with a heart of service for others. That somehow, whatever it is you're wanting to do, be or accomplish in your life, that it's benefiting either, you know, somebody beyond yourself. I believe that there's great beauty and purpose in that. And then um, the last part of the book is challenging people. Okay, how are you going to do this? How are you going to take action? How are you going to set goals? How are you going to set action steps? So I think the book is really good for anybody who's feeling a little stuck, you know, like they want more out of life, that they want to pivot, they want to do something different. And they need two things. One, somebody to believe in them that they can do it. And then two, a very simple action plan in order to get started and make it happen. Yeah, I love when books just give you a process. Because I think you have to take people on that journey because everyone's journey is so unique. Mm -hmm. And so what I love about what you're offering is that it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what place of your life you're in, there's a simple process of kind of walking you through these mindset shifts around really empowering you to say, okay, how do I get unstuck? And then I think so so often it's like, we know we want more, but we don't know what that looks like. And because mm-hmm. we don't know what we look, what that looks like, then we just let the universe just throw whatever it is at us without uh, identifying, okay, well, deep at the core of who I am on a soul level, I know what it is, but I just have all this other junk and all these other stories mm-hmm. and yep. on top of it. And so how do I pull those back so that I can witness my truth in all of it? And I often think too, I'm curious your thoughts on this, but but sometimes it's just in the momentum of doing that we figure out what we want. I think so yes. often people are like, everyone has their dreams and they're, you know, people like if you're an entrepreneur, you just know what you want to do. And I can tell you from my own experience, so many years, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no mm. idea what was going to light me up. I've transitioned three different businesses in the health space. And finally, now I'm very much in alignment. And during those times, I thought I was in alignment, but I wasn't exactly in alignment and I was pivoting based on mm-hmm. where I was in my life. And But until you get in it and you start doing it, it's impossible to say, this feels good, this doesn't feel good because you're not doing anything. Right. And so first we have to get unstuck, which I love is what you're offering. And then it's like, okay, time to take action and start an online business, start an Instagram account. And if you don't love being the face of the brand, pivot. Like We have to start doing something. Otherwise, you're never going to know what feels feels good and what doesn't. Yeah. I had a client go through our Launch Your Life coaching program. And one of the things we do is we do quite a few visualizations. And I actually include some visualizations in the book, which is a little tricky to read and visualize at the same time. But I think people can kind of do it. We do these visualizations where I help people begin to go deep in their heart and find that vision. Like I've said, that mental 
picture of their preferable future, what they want to experience in life, and bring it from their heart up into their mind's eye and allow them to see it. Had a, a woman named Jackie, it's a part of our program last year, and she developed a vision of being a flower farmer. She saw herself surrounded by flowers in this field. And she thought, oh, that's so silly. She's actually a mindset coach for a very highly successful medical, online medical program. And she thought, well, other people do flowers. Like, that's just weird. And she got really a lot of affirmation from her husband. And of course, I'm cheering her on. And she ended up buying some bulbs for dahlias and she was getting ready to plant those. She had somebody through really amazing circumstances give her 200 bulbs, which was worth about uh, between $1,000 and $2,000 because it ranged from 5 to $10 each on these dahlias. She ended up getting so much momentum out of this vision that her and her husband sold their home and bought a six and a half acre farm. And literally right now, they're renovating the home and they're getting ready to plant their first like crop of an acre of flowers. And that was last year. Like this is a year ago. She caught that vision so powerfully and believed in. She began to just go after it. And it's amazing. It doesn't have to be that big. It could be as simple as, you know, you've had a vision to plant some raised beds in your backyard and you just haven't done it because you haven't, you know, for whatever reason, whatever story you've made up, you know, Um, you can do it. You can do whatever's in your heart. I truly believe you can do, but you got to have a plan. And you need somebody to, you know, kind of cheer you on and help you and guide you. Yeah. And I love the visualization of moving from the heart to the mind. So I think so often where people get stuck when they try to visualize is they start in the mind. And when you start in the mind, and I am a huge believer of meditation. My this is like the largest part of my practice. But often when we start in the mind, we're in comparison mindset. We're in mm. scanning the world for what we've already to be true or what's worked versus going into our own experience and trusting ourselves. And so when we start in the mind, we're like sorting through all these thoughts and these fears and these emotions and and like in it, right? We're like, oh, we're trying to logically piece together the business plan and all of the things. But when we start in the heart, we're like, okay, what just feels so good and alive and amazing to me? Like what would light me up without having to piece together the way in which it's going to be created? And then when you move to the mind and the third eye, okay, that's the vision. And then everything can fall into place. And then once you have the vision, then you can say, okay, what are the steps I'm going to need to take? What's the investment I need? What's all the things? But when we get caught in that, it blocks the vision. And so I love that. And I think it's, it's a really powerful thing that I've, I've done a lot of work on and I've been studying how to like actually activate the heart Hmm. in the sense of visualization and, and manifesting your life. And so I think that's a great other practice that you guys, if you're listening, can start with is just going, Mm -hmm. going to the place of your heart, connecting, putting your right hand on your heart, maybe your left hand on your, your belly, breathing in to your heart, actually visualizing yourself in this space of whatever is fun and enjoyable and playful Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. exciting. So I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm excited for people to connect with you. And I'm so thankful for you being here and just being honest and vulnerable and, and sharing. I know it takes a lot of courage to show up and share our truths and our stories. And so I just honor you for that. So thank you so much. Thank you being here. And do you have a place you prefer people to connect with you or what's the best way for people to get more information about all the work that you do? 
Yeah. Well, our website is insporising.com, like Inspiration Rising, but just insporising.com. And all of our social media is inspo rising as well. But people, if they were interested in getting, they could check out the first chapter of the book for free if they just go to insporising.com and they can request that. Or if they want to be in a mail, a physical Inspiration Rising manifesto to them, a little card, they can request that there as well. Both those things are absolutely free. And of course, the book's on Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful for our time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I admire what you're doing. I admire your heart. I love your questions and just feel like you want the best for people. Like I feel that, you know, in you that radiates strongly. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. You as well. I love this conversation with David and I hope you too found it as inspiring as I did, especially the part on forgiveness. A reminder that forgiveness is about connecting with our true oneness and compassion for one another. By letting go of the painful past and experiences and embracing love, you are ultimately opening a door for a new beginning. This week, I challenge you to write a forgiveness letter without judgment to whomever you are feeling anger towards in your life. Speak from your heart, forgive yourself for holding on to this pain for as long as you have and how it has potentially held you back. Bless the experience and accept that you are now leaving it in the past. Embrace this time to let it go. Often we carry these deep feelings of guilt that we did something wrong or had something wrong done to us. And then we cultivate the belief that we no longer deserve a happy, healthy life. And that's why these forgiveness letters work so well. Focus on forgiving this painful experience, let go of the disappointment of what you hoped the outcome would be, and then know by releasing this hurt, you create the space for real change moving forward. If you have written a forgiveness letter before, do another one. Don't ever underestimate the power of writing forgiveness letters. Do them as often as you need, as they are the beginning steps to help you reconcile the parts of yourself that you are holding on to the stories that are keeping you comfortable instead of thriving. There is so much beauty on the other side of these letters because each time you extend forgiveness, you create more space for happiness. You will emerge transformed, lighter, braver, and more confident than you did before you wrote them. So thank you again for being here. If this podcast inspires you, Please share a screenshot of this episode and tag me at Sarah and Stewart and let me know what shifts you are making and how forgiveness has shown value in your life. I would love to share you and celebrate your shifts as well. And until next episode, I'm sending you a massive virtual hug and I'm sending you massive amounts of love. All right, that concludes this cast. It is my honor to always be here with you, but hang tight because I have one last thought. You're here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feelings of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it today. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. We are all in this together. Thank you for being here. You too can feel awesome from the inside out.